And let me tell you a little bit about uh, my, myself as I enter into our topic for today, just because as I was thinking about this, it, it gives a little bit of background to some of um, what God has done in me and uh, in my thinking around this, but also I know is similar to some of your stories as you've shared with me. And, and maybe if you're watching online, uh, for some of you, it, it, it resonates with your story. But I grew up in the church. And my whole life, my, my dad was a pastor, and my whole life was church. And I was, even on top of that, was homeschooled until seventh grade. So I was as church as you can get possible. Uh, from, from the top of my head to the bottom of my toes, all I was was church. And that's not a bad thing. I mean, I'm, for some of you, maybe that's the case. But when, when my parents got divorced when I was 12 years old, uh, we moved to a new city. And really, from that time until college, I didn't have any Christian friends. We weren't really a part of a church at all. We would go my, every other weekend with my mom, every other weekend with my dad. Kind of, try, They were each trying out different churches. So for a couple years, it was just kind of hopping around to a bunch of different churches. Um, finally, when we did settle on churches, it was different churches that I was going to, but it was always sit in the back row and leave. Uh, I tried out to go to a couple youth groups, which I don't know if you've ever been to a youth group, but they're very strange places where basically you just put marshmallows in your mouth and see how many you can fit and say chubby bunny at the same time and all sorts of weird things. Um, and I, I went to maybe one or two and one kid pulled a knife on me and the other one, everyone was just really strange and that's coming from a homeschool church kid. So it was very strange and it was just like, I, I, have, I don't want anything to do with this. And so for the time I was 12 until college, really what began to happen in me is that I loved God. I would read my Bible, I would pray, I would sing worship songs, and loved all of that, and really felt like I had a close relationship with God. But I didn't have Christian community, I didn't care about the church, I thought that the church was kind of useless, I thought the church was, it wasn't doing anything for me. And in some way, my thoughts were even begin to feel like, I don't even know if church is a legitimate thing. Is this just kind of a man-made institution? And is this even in the Bible? And, and was really on my way to be done with church. It was very close to that point. I was having a strong, healthy, in my mind, spiritual life, but was really close to just being done with church. Didn't really feel a need for it. It wasn't uh, helping in any way. In fact, I saw a lot of the brokenness in church. I saw a lot of the problems that were in church, even growing up as a pastor's kid in the church, and began to think there wasn't really a need for it. Now, statistically speaking, I just kind of share with you that to say if any of you are in any place similar to that, or maybe even feeling towards that, or have been in that place, I, I understand that. I get that. And yet, if that had been my path, if that had been the trajectory I continued on, and I believe this is true for us here as well and for those online, I would have missed out on most, not some, on most of the greater things that God intended to do in my life through my life. Statistically speaking, that I'm not an anomaly. That, that is the case for many people. About 75% of the United States says that they are Christian. And 25% of those, or actually, excuse me, 50% of the United States isn't a part of a church. So there's only about 25% of the United States that's actually a part of a church, even though 75% says we're Christians. And so that, that creates obviously some tension, some problems, and I believe missing out on what God intends 
to do because most of the people that would say that I'm a Christian, and I think even if that's not what you say, obviously you're, you're here today, I think those forces influence us where it's easy to believe that Christianity, faith, is this kind of private experience. And if church adds to that, church can kind of be the sauce for that, church can help with your private experience, great. But if not, then maybe we don't need it. Maybe it's not essential. Maybe it's not something that really matters that much because it's really something that's between me and God. And I think even right now online has, and no offense to those of you online, we're grateful to have you, but with many churches moving online, I think that's heightened that where what happens is it's this curated experience. You can listen to amazing worship music on Spotify from all around the world. You can listen to some of the best preaching in the world online. You can uh, get some great uh, theological, even seminary-level teaching online. You can have access to Bible tools online. You can even have uh, some form of relationship through a chat room or things online. And it's easy to kind of pick and choose buffet style your own curated private spiritual experience, which is a lot what I was doing uh, before being a part of the church. And I didn't even have the internet, so it was just kind of, I guess maybe, what was that? What was the music? Napster. I guess a little bit of music on Napster I was getting, you know, and things like that. But it just kind of curating some of that. And that's a lot of what is happening right now. And I think just during the pandemic and the COVID season, that has been heightened. In fact, this is what the statistics are saying right now, that one in three practicing Christians has stopped attending church during COVID-19. That's not talking about online. About a third, so you're in the third that's here, about a third are here, about a third are online only, and they are kind of mixing and matching. Oh, maybe I'll listen to this sermon, and maybe I'll listen to that sermon, and maybe I'll attend this church service, and ooh, I've heard this one is really great. But a third of people that were practicing Christians before have completely just, they're just done. That's kind of scary to think, 33%. Uh, They're estimating that about 20% of churches in the United States will close this year. I drove by one uh, yesterday that I didn't know in my neighborhood, not far from me, that had just closed, has been there for 10 years. So this is kind of what's happening. And a lot of people don't view this as a crisis in any way because Faith is a private experience, and maybe this is even a good thing. Maybe it's good that we're done with buildings and kind of done with organized religion, and maybe it's good to just kind of get the best of all worlds and have an enriched spiritual life from all these different places. But again, what the Bible teaches and what I believe and what I want to tell you even from my own story is that we're talking about the greater things that God wants to do in your life the greater things that God wants to do through your life. And most of that, we will miss out on. You will miss out on, apart from the church. So, what is the church? If it's this important, if it it matters this much, and, and maybe you're not sure, maybe you're not convinced of that yet, what is the church? What should it even be doing? What is it about? What is it for? What's, what's the purpose? What's the reason? Why do we need it? Do we need it? We need to know the answer to these questions. If not, we maybe have false expectations of what the church is supposed to be, or maybe we don't view it as that important, or maybe we view it as just kind of the private experience addition for our faith, and in that miss. God's intention and what God has for us. So today, 
in our time, in our final sermon looking at this, we're just going to explore eight kind of foundational things that are important to know about the church that help us to see why we're even here, what this is even about, what this is even for, and why it's true that it's only through here that you'll experience some of the greater things that God wants to do in your life, through your life, and through us and in us collectively. So here we go. Eight things. Number one is that Jesus creates his church. Jesus creates his church. If you think about it, there's a lot of things that God could have done when he came to this earth. God in Jesus, and we are about to celebrate this through Advent, came to the earth. And there's a lot of things that he could have done. In fact, in many other religions, what happens is that a religious founder comes and there's a temple set up or some sort of holy site set up. Jesus could have done that. When Jesus left, he could have said, and now I leave to you this temple. And this is what I founded. This is what I've started. He could have left some sort of oracles in ancient religions. A lot of times people go travel to the oracle to hear from them. He could have done that. He could have left some sort of just, uh, and we do have the Bible, but he could have just given us a book and said, I'm leaving and now I give you this book. And yet what happened, what Jesus decided to do when he left, and part of what God has always been doing, what Jesus decided to do, what his idea was, is to create the church. Here's how Jesus says it in Matthew 16. He says, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, will not overpower it. Jesus says, I will build my church. That was his strategy. That's what he intended to do. He knew that he was leaving, but what he said that he was going to do is build his church. That's what he designed, and nothing is going to stop it. To say the gates of Hades will not overpower it, the gates of Hades will not be able to overpower it is to say that God's church will move forward in the world and nothing will be able to stop it. And if you think about 2,000 years of Christian history, there's been all sorts of persecution. There's been all sorts of laws. There's been all sorts of regimes. There's been all sorts of emperors and rulers and things that have tried to stop the church. There's been pandemics and restrictions and all sorts of things. And no matter how bad we ever think it gets, Jesus says, I will build it. Jesus creates his church. And along with this idea of him creating it, it's not just that out of nowhere it appeared. What is also told of us is in that creation, what did he do to create it? Or some other language that's given to that is that he says he, it was bought with his blood. This is in Acts. It says, be on, God, excuse me, be on guard for yourselves. This is Paul teaching uh, the elders in Ephesus. And for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers or elders to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Jesus creates the church, but it costs him something to do it. Jesus created the church, but in so doing, the price of that was his own blood. That God sent his son to this world. And we'll celebrate this and remember this when we take communion, but his blood was shed. The price of being able to build this church. If you've ever built something, you know it's expensive. If you've ever built a house or you've ever uh, remodeled a a house or you've built a a car or something kind of from scratch, or even if you've just built a, a, we were at some friend's house uh, this week and uh, wait, I mean, I don't know if I'm supposed to say that. We were, uh, whoops, Um, we were somewhere 
in hazmat suits and uh, some friends that had a, a table that, uh, that they built. And it, it cost something to build a table. It costs something to build. The, the more, the bigger something is, the, the more valuable something is, the more that it costs. And Jesus says, I created my church and the price of it wasn't money. The price of it was my very own blood. I gave my life. I had my blood shed to create this church. This is what he says to us. And, and I worded this intentionally, not to say Jesus created the church, but to say Jesus creates his church because he's still doing it. It's not just that Jesus founded the church. That's true. It's not just that there was a one-time event that he built the church. The way that the Bible continues to present us is that Jesus is still active in building the church. In the book of Acts, it uses this language. We looked at this passage earlier in talking about community, but it says, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Jesus has already ascended to be with the Father, and yet... The way that Acts tells the story of the church getting started is that Jesus is active in adding. It doesn't just say the apostles added or it doesn't even say people joined. It says the Lord added to their number. Jesus creates his church and what he is doing is continuing to do that. If you're a part of this church, I know you think you found us online. I know you think that you kind of searched for churches. I know you think a friend invited you or you drove by a sign. I know you think that's what happened. But what Acts says happened is that God added you here, that Jesus added you here, that the Lord Jesus is continuing to build his church. He is creating his church. Now, this is so important. If we're talking about Jesus creates his church, it's so important because as I said in the beginning, so often I think we view Christianity, we view faith, we view spirituality as our own individual experience. And yet what Jesus has always been doing is doing this. He's never been just going around saving individual people saying, okay, now you are saved, now you're not going to hell, now you are going to heaven, now you have a personal relationship. What he has been doing is creating his church, adding people to his church, building a family here. That is what he has always been doing. And yet, statistically speaking, this is from some research done. This is August 22nd, 2019. It says, most believers say they don't need others for discipleship. Nearly two-thirds of churchgoers, 65% agreed with the statement, I can walk with God without other believers. 65% of people that are Christians say, I don't need anyone else to do this faith thing. That's what I would have said. And it seemed true to me at the time. And maybe some of you online or here believe that to say, I don't need other people for this. It's me and God. But what Jesus is doing is creating his church. That's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is adding people to a church. Let me show you one last thing around this, that if you just search, and this is, this is just kind of a snapshot. I'm not saying this is the best argument or comprehensive, but I just want to give you this one little thing. If you search Christian in the Bible, it shows up three times. Now, and the reason I show you that is because Christian, or if you search personal relationship with Jesus, that comes up zero times. But if you search Christian even, which is just kind of your identity being in some sense you, 
and just you and God and how you identify with him three times. If you search church, it shows up 108 times. The Bible is filled with language, not of Jesus creating Christians, but of Jesus building his church. That is what Jesus does. That is what he is still doing. That is what he desires for us, for you, is to create a church, to call you into a church. This is why for us at True Life, membership is something that's very important. And some of you are members and some of you maybe are exploring that idea and we'll have a class coming up in January. But membership is about saying, I am a part of a church. I'm not just a private Christian that is experiencing some sort of spiritual benefit here, but I am being added by Jesus to the church. That's why that's very important for us because I believe, we believe, the Bible teaches what Jesus wants for you is not a privatized faith. He wants to give you a church. He wants to do great things in your life here. This is what he has created, what he is creating for that. Okay, number two is Jesus leads his church. This is so important to me, even as right now we experience all sorts of chaos in this world. We experience a third of people disengaging from church, 20% of churches closing. It can feel like, man, what's going to happen? What's, what's going on? But Jesus leads his church. Look how Colossians says this. This is talking about Jesus. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth. Look at just kind of the cosmic bigness of the picture it's trying to paint. The visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. I love this picture because it's saying the cosmic ruler of the universe that's holding the stars together, that's holding the sun together, that's holding our, the reason that we continue to spin on our axis, the reason that we haven't all melted or frozen. Jesus is holding all things together. All things were made for him. All things were made by him. And taking that big, giant, cosmic picture, he's the head of the church. He's the leader of the church. He's the leader of the universe and the cosmos. And he's the leader of true life. I love that. Because what it means is we have a leader. We have a king. We have one that we can listen to and who speaks to us and is involved and who cares and has said, I'm the leader of this church. I'm the head of this church. He says, he makes that claim that yes, I govern the world and I govern true life at the Lamar Street Event Center. That's amazing. And it gives me great comfort to know that the one that holds it all together is the one that is leading us as a church, which means also that he leads and we listen. We don't get to say what we want church to be. We listen to what he says and we follow in his steps. Three, he unites the church. Jesus unites his church. And by that, I mean that he brings us to himself and he brings us to one another. I love this passage in Acts 
it says this, Saul, later his name is changed to Paul, but it says Saul agreed with putting him to death, talking about Stephen, an early church leader. On that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church. Saul, however, was ravaging the church. So this crazy persecution breaks out against the church. And the reason I show you this is because in this next line, the next time we hear about this persecution against the church is when Jesus shows up to Saul on the Damascus road. He's going to, to hurt Christians, to persecute Christians, and Jesus shows up to him, a blinding light, and listen to what Jesus says to him. A persecution broke out against the church, and in the next chapter, falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It says that Saul was persecuting the church, but it says that Jesus says, you're persecuting me. Who are you, Lord? Saul said, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting, he replied. See, Jesus so deeply identifies with the church that he even says, it's me. You're hurting the church, you're hurting me. You're against the church, you're against me. Jesus says he and us are made one. He identifies with the church. He unifies us to himself. Listen, Jesus, the same thing. Jesus feels this way about us. If, the, if True Life Church is being persecuted, Jesus would say, you are persecuting me. He so deeply identifies with us as a church that he says it's him, which is why later we are called the body of Christ. He unifies us with himself and in doing so, unifies us with each other because all that are unified to him are then unified to one another, which is where we get language like this in Romans 12. In the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ, united to Christ and individually members of one another. So Jesus says, I unite you to myself. I so deeply identify with you. And in doing so, we are united together, which is why the church is called the family of God or the household of God. In 1 Timothy, I've written, Paul says, so that you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God. This is God's house. Sometimes, and again, I grew up in church and some of you did, that, that meant, hey, when you come into God's house, take off your hat because I don't, God hates hats apparently or whatever it is, right? That you enter into God's house and it was kind of like there's these house rules and okay, I understand kind of what that's trying to say, but really when the language is talking about God's household and that's used throughout is saying, God is saying, you're my family. You're my household. You are my people. Jesus unites his church. He brings us to himself. In doing so, he brings us to one another and makes us family. We talked about this in some of the previous weeks, that what God wants to give to you is a family. God doesn't want us to live our life alone. He wants to bless us with a community of people. He wants to give us a family. He wants to be our father and us to be brothers and sisters in a household together. That, that's the great gift. Listen, God wants to fellowship with you, we talked about, he wants to actually engage with you for us to be united to him, but also to be deeply united to one another as a family. That is what he is doing. Jesus unites his church, people from every tribe, tongue, nation, socioeconomic status. Jesus says, come to me, and in so doing, you will come together to one another. Fourth, Jesus 
works God's purposes in his church. If we don't know what the purpose of the church is, if we don't know what the purpose of this even is, then we can try to invent all sorts of other things for the church to be and for the church to be about and for the church to do. And, and I don't know if, if, if before this I were to just say, write down what you think the church is supposed to be about or what the church is for. There can be a million different things that we could say the church should be about this social cause or the church should be doing this or the church should be a part of this or it's for this program or it's for this thing or it's for, and there's all sorts of things that we could come up with. But what's the purpose of the church? What is it even here for? What, what are we about? And Jesus is the one that works out God's purpose for the church. And the reason, the purpose for the church is this. Paul says in Ephesians 3.8, This grace was given to me to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ. So he says, God's given me the grace to preach to those that are outside of Christ. This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. This is according to his eternal purpose accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus' purpose, God's purpose that Jesus accomplished is to build his church and through the church for God's multifaceted wisdom to be made known. That means all of God's plan of salvation means all of God's working to, in Ephesians, unite Jews and Gentiles. They got all of God's plan of salvation to save sinners that are far from him, that are dead, as Paul says in Ephesians, are dead in our trespasses. God's wisdom to, in his mercy and justice, combine those on the cross in his son. God's wisdom to be doing things that we cannot understand and look at the worst things that are happening, like God dying on the cross, and yet good be brought out of those. There's all of this wisdom of God that God wants to be known because God wants people to see him. God wants people to enjoy him. God wants people to see his plan and his working, and the way that he makes that known is through the church. And what's even interesting about this passage is it says, it makes known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. And if you look at what that means, commentators will tell you that's talking about spiritual beings in some way, whether those are angels or demons or angels and demons, but it's saying that part of what is even happening here is some weird, crazy, beautiful, supernatural thing where God's wisdom, who he is and what he's doing and what he's about in Jesus is being shown to even angels and demons. They're saying, that's what God's about? Wow. And further, Paul says this, and this has kind of been our key verse for this series. To him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations, that includes us, forever and ever, amen. This is what God's purpose is in the church that Jesus is bringing about and accomplishing. It is to glorify God. Listen, the purpose of our church, the reason we're here is to glorify God. And I know that's a big spiritual word that sometimes, what does that even mean? What it means is to show the goodness of God, to show who he is, to show how amazing God is in all of his attributes, in his love and his mercy and his, his omnipotence and his wisdom and his great love and all the different things that God is. It is to show 
who he is, that the church is intended to glorify him, to show him, to reveal him, not by ourself, here. God says, I want people to know my wisdom. I want people to know my character. I want people to see how good I am. And what I do is I create a church so that that can be seen, that can be enjoyed. Fifth is that Jesus commissions his church. We talked about this a little bit uh, last week, really, but it's important to understand that the church, that this here, this is not just a gathering. Yes, we gather together and that's important. And we gather online and, and that's important, but it's not just a gathering. It's not even just a community. We are a community. We are a family, but we're not just that. The church has a mission. Jesus has commissioned the church for something. He doesn't just bring us together and say, I want you to be here in the same room and learn, or I want you to be together and enjoy each other's company. All of that is true, but it's more than that. Jesus commissions his church. He unites his church. He creates his church. He brings it together and then says, I have a mission for you to actually be a part of. And if we get that wrong, what it means is we can create all sorts of other missions for the church. Listen, there's a lot of great nonprofits in the world, in our country, in our city, and those are valuable. Those are important, but only the church has received a specific mission from Jesus. And if we get off mission and do other things instead, this is part of where you see many churches die because they have chosen to reject Jesus's mission for them and instead have said, we want to be about these missions, which often are good things. They're just not the things that Jesus has given to the church to be a part of. And here's what he says is our mission. He says this in 1 Timothy, I've written so that you will know how people, we looked at this, ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Such an important phrase there. To say, here's what the church is. It is a pillar and foundation of truth. That language is, is the language they would understand to be temple language. If you think about, in, uh, if you've ever been to um, Europe, whether that's in Greece or Italy or some of those places, and you see these ancient temples that people had built. Think about like this. And, these, and this isn't what they look like now. They're mainly ruins. But you, you know these ancient temples that were built. And the pillar foundation language is talking, it's the, the word for these kinds of pillars. And those pillars were intended to hold up and to show here is the temple. Here is our God. It is to lift up. It's not just a structural thing. It's to hold high. You can even see some of the, the art up here that is showing the gods and what the temple is about. When we went to Greece last year, the, the temple, the, the main temple, is up on the top hill of Athens. And you can see it from the whole city, pretty much. You can see up there because there's big pillars holding it up. What Paul says of the church is this. The church is the pillar. The church is the foundation of truth. And not just truth in some two plus two is four kind of way of just all truth, but the truth of who God is. The church's intention, the church's mission is to tell the world, to show the world, here's who God is. Here's who Jesus is. God wants people to know. He wants wherever they are in the city to be able to see that's who he is. 
Now, that's one way to form, to say that language, but one of the classic ways is as right as Jesus left, he gives what is called the Great Commission. Jesus came near and said to them, to his apostles, that would then go out and found churches, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. That's what he gives. That's his dying command. His dying commission is he sends the church, here's the mission, to go make disciples, to bring people, to baptize people into his family, which means people that don't know him are to be brought into his family. And people that do know him are continued to be taught all the things that Jesus taught. That is the mission of the church. There's all sorts of great things that we could be a part of. There's all sorts of great things that we could do. But the mission of the church, the mission of the church is to show the truth of who Jesus is to the world and to people, to bring them into his family and to show them what it looks like to live in his family. Now, sixth, or actually, let me say one more thing on this, that Jesus commissioned his church. And this is part of what we talked about last week, but it's just this. This means we have a mission. This means we're not just gathering, we're not just here, but we have a mission. It also means you have a mission. That God has given your life a purpose, that God has given your life meaning, that God wants you. Collectively, this is what the church is about, but God wants you to be a part of making disciples. God wants you to be a part of showing his truth to people. That is a part of why, by the way, we care so much about church planting. That's why we give thousands of dollars to see new churches started because God says that his heart is for the church to be the place, to be the people that shows his truth, that brings people into his family. This is why we care about church planting. This is why we want to be a hospitable church for people coming in and not just be about us. Jesus commissions his church. And then sixth, Jesus organizes his church. How, how does he bring all this about? How does it, he's going to lead the church. He created it. He adds people to it. He's creating this family. He's got a purpose, but how does that actually work out in the day today? How does he accomplish all that he has given direction for or commissioned to happen? He's given us a plan and we can look at this at multiple levels. First is this, when Jesus organizes his church, he organizes it into local churches. This is important because, and I think this goes again a little bit to kind of our private individual experience, it's really easy for us to say something like this. I believe in the, the church or the capital C church or we're all the church, all Christians everywhere. And there's a sense in which that is true. Yes, all of God's people are called the church. And yet God doesn't just want you to be a part of the church. He organizes all of his plan and all of his mission and all of his manifest wisdom being seen into local churches, which is so important because God doesn't want us to just say, okay, this Sunday I'm a part of this church and maybe this Sunday I'm a part of that church and, and it doesn't really matter if I commit to any particular church because I'm just a part of the church. God says, the way I organize all of this is into local 
churches. I, I could give you tons of information on this, but I just want to show you this. Romans 16, Paul says, not only do I thank them, this is the close of his letter, but so do all the Gentile churches. And to talk about that in the plural, to say that there are churches that are thanking is to talk about the church, not just with some capital C, but to refer to specific churches. And that is how it happened. Churches got planted, individual churches. And Paul is not just saying the church, God's capital C church, thanks you. He refers to the church. And most of the time that the Bible uses the language of church, it is talking about local individual congregations. Back then, sometimes a city maybe had a couple of them, depending on the size of the city or the movement of the gospel. Now, obviously, if we're in Denver or somewhere, there's dozens and dozens, hundreds of churches. But it's talking about local churches. And then also, even here, it says, greet also the church that meets in their home. So he's talking about a home, a church that's in a home. And he's talking about churches. All of that language is to say, when we're talking about the church, we're not just talking about the church broad, but specific local churches, the way that God has organized it. And then moving from there, the way that God organizes this is with elders and members of the church or pastors it says this in Ephesians 4 he himself gave some to be apostles so think about Jesus's original 12 apostles some prophets there was that could be referring people kind of disagree on that but that could be referring to old testament prophets that the church was built on in the people of God or some unique office that was appointed uh, in the time of the apostles as well some evangelists think again some of the apostles um, comrades that they had. Well, I don't know why I use that word, but some of their uh, comrades that they had with them, whether that's Silas or Timothy or people that weren't the original apostles, but people that were going and sharing the gospel with them. And then some combo word, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ. The way that Jesus organizes his church is he brings it into local churches and then he appoints pastors or elders to govern and to lead and to teach, to equip the saints. The saints is these people, not just holy people, but to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That is the job that God has given to me. My job is to equip the church. And then he gives the job of individual Christians to do the work of ministry. I've heard other pastors say this before, and I think it's... Uh, kind of interesting to think about, but that the, the day I became a pastor is the day I left the ministry because my job is actually to equip people for ministry. And the day that you became a Christian is the day that you entered the ministry, that God organizes his church into local churches with elders and deacons as another office that serve in the church. That's what the word means. And then for Christians, for the everyday member that is a part of God's family to do the work of ministry. And don't look at that as professional, but just all the different things that we are called to do as Christians. And then finally, part of the organization is that he brings specific people into the body with particular gifts and particular things to play a specific role in a specific part. I'll show you this from 1 Corinthians, and I could preach a whole sermon on uh, spiritual gifts, but, and that's kind of what he's talking about here in these two verses, but I just want to point out these parts. It says, but as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted, and God has put the body together. 
When you think about our church and you think about churches, part of how it's important to see that God is the one organizing it. God is the one arranging it. God puts you here. God brought you with your gifts and your experiences and your time. God brought you. He said, I am going to arrange this body and I'm going to put this person here. That God has an active role in designing who is here. God has an active role in placing specific people for his purpose of the manifest wisdom and glorifying God and all of those things. Listen, it's not an accident that you're here. God arranged it. God put you here. God says, part of how I bring about my plan in the church is I need you here. That's so important because you are not a passive receiver. God has brought you here, arranged you here, put you here to be a part of building up the church, to be a part of all that he wants to do in and through us. You matter to the rest of the church. You matter to this church. And God has brought you here to be a part of serving the body in some way. Seven, Jesus strengthens his church. I think this is important even in our time right now because there's a lot of problems with the church and there's always been problems with the church. And part of the reason that people sometimes turn away from the church is, man, I got hurt by the church or I see these injustices in the church or I see these things in the church. If I had time, I could go throughout all the New Testament and show you Almost every single letter in the New Testament, except for one, is really written to correct problems. There's all sorts of problems in the church. People that were denying people to come into the church that weren't even leaders there. That'd be if our greeters on the outside were saying, hey, nah, you can't come in. Just kicking people out. People that were trying to take over leadership. People that were false teachers. People that were having all sorts of crazy sexual misconduct, not a new thing, in the church. People that were doing all sorts of things. People getting drunk on communion. Can't do that anymore because we just have little tiny grape juice. But people getting drunk on communion. All sorts of, this was what was, people stealing money. I mean, all sorts of things. The church has always been filled with problems. That's not a new thing. And the reason I say that is because when the Bible talks about strengthening the church, that implies that it has weakness. When the Bible talks about building up the church, that implies that it has immaturity. When the Bible talks about the church needing to grow up, it that implies that in some ways we're infantile. Let me just show you a couple of these verses in Acts 15. Churches get started, but then what happens is, this is talking about Paul, he traveled through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So churches get started, but then he goes back to them and strengthens them because they've got all these problems. They're still into witchcraft. They're still into weird angel demonic teaching. They're still into, and he has to go back and strengthen those churches once again. Or this verse is my new life verse. It says, both Judas and Silas, who were also prophets themselves, encouraged the brothers and sisters and strengthened them with a long message. I love that. That's, it's, that's the way to be strengthened is you need a long message. I'm going to get this tattooed on me. Um, and then, <laughs> thank you, I appreciate that. That Jesus strengthens his church. The church has always been messed up. Listen, God sees it. He knows it. And he sees 
all the things in our church that need to be strengthened. And that's okay with him. He says, yes, and I'm actively going to strengthen the church. He sees the things in your community group. He sees the things in your life that need strengthening. And that to him is not, ah, one bad apple is going to spoil the bunch. He says, I know, and I'm going to strengthen it. I'm going to change it. I'm going to build it. Listen, we, we talked about this earlier, just in, in, in our growth, that God wants to help us experience growth. He wants more for us. That is true. God looks at our life and says, I want to help you grow, to be a better husband, to be a better father, to be a better mom, to be a better wife, to be a better friend, to be more forgiving, to be more joyful, to be more patient. I want to grow you, to experience more of what I have for you. He's committed to that for you and for our church. But this is part of why we need this. This is part of why we need this because Jesus strengthens his church and you may miss out on the strengthening that he wants to do for you if you operate in a way that says, I don't need other Christians for my life. Let me just show you one last stat here of why Americans go and don't go to religious services. This is one of the main, this is the main reason people say they don't, and this is Christians, say they don't go to church. It says among self-identified Christians, the predominant reason that non-churchgoers offer for not attending worship services is they practice their faith in other ways. Upwards of four in 10 say this is a very important reason for not going to church more often. They say, I do, I do my faith in other ways. But what that means is you miss out on the strengthening that God actually wants to do for the church. That if you want to grow, you want to be a part of God's strengthening for you, he says most of that is going to come through the church. That's why we have verses like this that we looked at earlier that say, let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing but encourage each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. Do not neglect to gather together, whether that's community groups or here on a Sunday, because that is part of where God brings the strength and the growth that we desire and that he wants for us. This is vital. This is essential. This matters deeply to the strength that God wants to bring into your life. And then finally, Jesus loves his church. Listen, Jesus is here. He's present right now. He sees every single thing going on in your life. He sees everything going on in the life of our church as a whole. He sees it and he cares about it. I love this verse from Revelation where Jesus is writing to seven different churches but here's what it says, and I think it's true still today, even though this is to a specific church. He says, write to the angel, and most people believe that means the pastor of the church in Ephesus. Thus says the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. That's talking about Jesus. And who walks among the seven gold lampstands. That's referring to the seven churches that he's writing this letter to. I know your works, your labor, and your endurance and that you cannot tolerate evil people. I know that you have persevered and endured hardships for the sake of my name, and you have not grown weary. It goes on to talk about other things that they need to correct as well, but just, I just wanted to show you this. It says about Jesus that he is the one that walks among the churches. That Jesus walks among us. 
I don't think that means that if you pay close attention, you're physically going to see Jesus standing there. But it is to give us a picture that he is present here. And in his walking, he knows. He says, I know. I know the struggles. I know the stuff that's hard. I know the stuff that's challenging. I know where you're in sin. I know where you're enduring things that are difficult. Jesus walks among the churches. He sees, he's present, he loves. And, and later the Bible, or earlier, the Bible talks about Jesus's love as a husband to a wife. One of the most beautiful passages on marriage, but it's comparing the love of a husband to a, uh, for a wife to Jesus, to his bride, the church. And look what it says. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. No one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it just as Christ does for the church. It's saying, you want to know, you want to know how Jesus feels about the church? You want to know how Jesus acts towards the church? Think of the best husband you've ever known. That's, that's the picture. It's, and wives, the right answer is the one next to you, but it, it's, he says, look at this. He gave himself for her. He sacrificed for her. He sought to serve her. That's how Jesus is towards us. He gives himself for us. He provides and cares for the church. Jesus is providing for our church. Jesus is caring for our church. He loves deeply with a greater affection than any husband has ever felt for a wife. Jesus says, I love my church and I will die for her. I did die for her. I will provide for her. I will care for her. That is Jesus's heart towards this church, which means this. It means we can trust him. It means no matter what's going on, it means no matter what's happening, no matter the chaos, no matter the, the things that take place in this world and in our lives, we can trust. I've got that person. I've got someone that loves and cares for us here who's filled with affection for our church. This is the church. I just wanted to share with you eight things about the church because this is part of where the greater things that God wants to do in and through your life and our life is going to happen. This is what he has done. This is what he wants for us. It's what he wants to experience. It's how these great things come. So what does this mean? Jesus creates his church. He leads his church. He unites it. He works God's purpose in it. He commissions it. He organizes it. He strengthens it. He loves it. But listen, it's easy to read those things in the Bible and think about, yes, that's true, he does that. But it's not just that he does that for his church, it's that he does that for this church. All the things that we read in the Bible about the church, we could just replace part of it to say, true life church, that Jesus created this church, that Jesus loves this church, that Jesus loves, that Jesus leads this church. Jesus loves and is a part of this church, part of your life. The words that the Bible gives us to about the church are just as relevant today. More than a private experience, God wants to give you the church. So here's what that means. Join the church. If you're just visiting, if you're on the fence, if you're online, join the church. Actually say, okay, I want to be added to the church. Come to church. You're here now, but come to church. Do not neglect 
gathering together. Commit to the church, which means actually engage. Don't just let Sunday be a part of this. The only, excuse me, the only part of this, whether that's your community group or with various uh, serving or resources, say, man, I want my life to be centered in the church if this is where God is doing all of this. Actually commit to pray, to be engaged, to care for the church. Give to the church so we can continue doing what God has called us to do and continue to start and be a part of helping other churches. Serve in the church. Invite people to the church if this is God's plan for the church. Identify with the church, meaning say, this is, this is me. It's not just a part of my life. I'm, I am part of Jesus' church. I am centered on him. Jesus wants to give you the church to connect us to something bigger. That's really where all the greater things that we've talked about happen and come through. When we take communion, what we remember is what we looked at earlier, that Jesus bought this church with his blood, that Jesus' body was broken and his blood was shed. Why? To save you from your sin? Yes. To forgive you? Yes. To sanctify you? Yes. To allow you to experience life with him? Yes. But not only that. He did it to purchase a church, to give you a church to give you a family, a mission, and a people that belong to him that are able to show his glory to the world. So would you take some time and pray with me as you take communion, reflect on these things, confess, worship, whatever that might be. And you can also use this time to take a next step. You can go to our next step page that we showed earlier. You can take an opportunity to, to give, to sign up to serve, to Explore more about community groups or whatever it might be of what a next step is for you as Jesus wants to give you this church. Father, we thank you that you have designed a church for us, not just a private experience, that you want us to have this, a place where you lead, a place where you have given us family, a place where you are present and love us and walk among us. Lord, I thank you for the church. I thank you for this church. Thank you for arranging and putting people in this church. And I pray, Lord, that we would continue to be a faithful church. Strengthen us in all the ways that you want to. Let this next time that we have to sing and take communion, Lord, just seal in our hearts your love, your care, your design. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.